0: Section twenty-nine of the fortunes of Nigel by Sir Walter Scott. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twenty Seven. This way lie safety and a sure retreat. Yonder lie danger, shame, and punishment. Most welcome danger, then nay let me say though spoke with swelling heart welcome e'en shame and welcome punishment for call me guilty i do but pay the tax that's due to justice and call me guiltless then that punishment is shame to those alone who do inflict it the tribunal we left lord Glenvarlock, to whose fortunes our story chiefly attaches itself gliding swiftly down the thames he was not as the reader may have observed very affable in his disposition or apt to enter into conversation with those into whose company he was casually thrown this was indeed an error in his conduct arising less from pride though of that feeling we do not pretend to exculpate him than from a sort of bashful reluctance to mix in the conversation of those with whom he was not familiar it is a fault only to be cured by experience and knowledge of the world which soon teaches every sensible and acute person the important lesson that amusement and what is of more consequence that information and increase of knowledge are to be derived from the conversation of every individual whatever with whom he is thrown into a natural train of communication for ourselves we can assure the reader and perhaps if we have ever been able to afford him amusement it is owing in a great degree to this cause that we never found ourselves in company with the stupidest of all possible companions in a post-chaise or with the most errant cumber-corner that ever occupied a place in the mail-coach without finding that in the course of our conversation with him we had some ideas suggested to us either grave or gay or some information communicated in the course of our journey which we should have regretted not to have learned and which we should be sorry to have immediately forgotten but nigel was somewhat immured within the Bastille of his rank as some philosopher tom paine we think has happily enough expressed that sort of shyness which men of dignified situations are apt to be beset with rather from not exactly knowing how far or with whom they ought to be familiar than from any real touch of aristocratic pride besides the immediate pressure of our adventurer's own affairs was such as exclusively to engross his attention he sat therefore wrapped in his cloak in the stern of the boat with his mind entirely bent upon the probable issue of the interview with his sovereign which it was his purpose to seek for which abstraction of mind he may be fully justified although perhaps by questioning the watermen who were transporting him down the river he might have discovered matters of high concernment to him at any rate niger remained silent till the weary approached the town of greenwich when he commanded the men to put in for the nearest landing-place as it was his purpose to go ashore there and dismiss them from further attendance that is not possible said the fellow with the green jacket who as we have already said seemed to take on himself the charge of pilotage we must go he continued to gravesend where a scottish vessel which dropped down the river last tide for the very purpose lies with her anchor a-peak waiting to carry you to your own dear northern country your hammock is slung and all is ready for you and you talk of going ashore at greenwich as seriously as if such a thing were possible i see no impossibility said nigel in your landing me where i desire to be landed but very little possibility of your carrying me anywhere i'm not desirous of going why whether do you manage the wherry? or we master asked green jacket in a tone betwixt jest and earnest i take it she will go the way we row her ay retorted nigel but i take it you will row her on the course i direct you otherwise your chance of payment is but a poor one suppose we are content to risk that said the undaunted waterman i wish to know how you who talk so big i mean no offence master but you do talk big would help yourself in such a case simply thus answered lord Glenvarlock. you saw me an hour since bring down to the boat a trunk that neither of you could lift if we are to contest the destination of our voyage the same strength which tossed that chest into the weary will suffice to fling you out of it wherefore before we begin the scuffle, I pray you to remember that whither I would go, there I will oblige you to carry me Be mercy for your kindness, said Green Jacket. And now mark me in return, my comrade and I are two men, and you, were you as stout as Georgia Green, can pass but for one. And two, you will allow, are more than a match for one. You mistake in your reckoning, my friend. It is you who mistake answered nigel who began to grow warm it is i who am three to two sir i carry two men's lives at my girdle so saying he opened his cloak and showed the two pistols which he had disposed at his girdle green jacket was unmoved at the display i have got said he a pair of barkers that will match yours and he showed that he also was armed with pistols so you may begin as soon as you list then said lord Glenvarlock, drawing forth and cocking a pistol the sooner the better take notice i hold you as a ruffian who have declared you will put force on my person and that i will shoot you through the head if you do not instantly put me ashore at greenwich the other waterman alarmed at nigel's gesture lay upon his oar But green jacket replied coolly look you master, i should not care a tester to venture a life with you on this matter but the truth is i am employed to do you good and not to do you harm by whom are you employed said the lord Glenvarlock. or who dare concern themselves in me or my affairs without my authority as to that answered the waterman in the same tone of indifference i shall not show my commission for myself i care not as i said whether you land at greenwich to get yourself hanged or go down to get aboard the royal thistle to make your escape to your own country you will be equally out of my reach either way but it is fair to put the choice before you my choice is made said nigel i've told you thrice already it is my pleasure to be landed at greenwich write it on a piece of paper said the waterman that such is your positive will i must have something to show to my employers that the transgression of their orders lies with yourself not with me i choose to hold this trinket in my hand for the present said nigel showing his pistol and will write you the acquittance when i go ashore i would not go ashore with you for a hundred pieces said the waterman ill luck has ever attended you except in small gaming do me fair justice and give me the testimony i desire if you are afraid of foul play while you write it you may hold my pistols if you will he offered the weapons to nigel accordingly who while they were under his control and all possibility of his being taken at disadvantage was excluded no longer hesitated to give the waterman an acknowledgment in the following terms jack and the green with his mate belonging to the wherry called the jolly raven have done their duty faithfully by me landing me at greenwich by my express command and being themselves willing and desirous to carry me on board the royal thistle presently lying at gravesend having finished this acknowledgment which he signed with the letters n o g as indicating his name and title he again requested to know of the waterman to whom he delivered it the name of his employers sir replied in the green i have respected your secret do not you seek to pry into mine it would do you no good to know for whom i am taking this present trouble and to be brief you shall not know it and if you will fight in the quarrel as you said even now the sooner we begin the better only this you may be cocksure of that we designed you no harm and that if you fall into any it will be of your own wilful seeking as he spoke they approached the landing-place where nigel instantly jumped ashore the waterman placed his small mail trunk on the stairs observing that there were plenty of spare hands about to carry it where he would we part friends i hope my lads said the young nobleman offering at the same time a piece of money more than double the usual fare to the boatmen we part as we met answered green jacket and for your money i am paid sufficiently with this bit of paper only if you owe me any love for the cast i have given you i pray you not to dive so deep into the pockets of the next apprentice that you find fool enough to play the cavalier and you you greedy swine said he to his companion who still had a longing eye fixed on the money which nigel continued to offer push off or if i take a stretcher in hand i'll break the knave's pate of thee the fellow pushed off as he was commanded but still could not help muttering this was entirely out of waterman's rules glenbarlach though without the devotion of the injured thales of the moralist to the memory of that great princess had now attained the hallowed soil which gave eliza birth whose halls were now less respectably occupied by her successor it was not as has been well shown by a late author that james was void either of parts or of good intentions and his predecessor was at least as arbitrary in effect as he was in theory but while elizabeth possessed a sternness of masculine sense and determination which rendered even her weaknesses some of which were in themselves sufficiently ridiculous in a certain degree respectable james on the other hand was so utterly devoid of firm resolve so well called by the scottish bard the stalk of carl hemp in man that even his virtues and his good meaning became laughable from the whimsical uncertainty of his conduct so that the wisest things he ever said and the best actions he ever did were often touched with a strain of the ludicrous and fidgety character of the man accordingly though at different periods of his reign he contrived to acquire with his people a certain degree of temporary popularity it never long outlived the occasion which produced it so true it is that the mass of mankind will respect a monarch stained with actual guilt more than one whose foibles render him only ridiculous to return from this digression lord glenvarlock soon received as green jacket had assured him the offer of an idle bargeman to transport his baggage where he listed but that where was a question of momentary doubt at length recollecting the necessity that his hair and beard should be properly arranged before he attempted to enter the royal presence and desirous at the same time of obtaining some information of the motions of the sovereign and of the court he desired to be guided to the next barber's shop which we have already mentioned as the place where news of every kind circled and centred he was speedily shown the way to such an emporium of intelligence and soon found he was likely to hear all he desired to know and much more while his head was subjected to the art of a nimble tonsure the glibness of whose tongue kept pace with the nimbleness of his fingers while he ran on without stint or stop in the following excursive manner the court here master yes master much to the advantage of trade good custom stirring his majesty loves greenwich hunts every morning in the park all decent persons admitted that have the entries of the palace no rabble frightened the king's horse with their hallooing the uncombed slaves yes sir the beard more peaked. yes master so it is worn i know the last cut dressed several of the courtiers one valet of the chamber two pages of the body the clerk of the kitchen three running footmen two dog-boys and an honourable scottish knight sir munco Malgrowler. Crowther, i suppose said nigel thrusting in his conjectural emendation with infinite difficulty betwixt two clauses of the barber's text yes sir malcrowder sir as you say sir hard names the scots have sir for an english mouth sir Munco is a handsome person sir perhaps you know him bating the loss of his fingers and the lameness of his leg and the length of his chin sir it takes me one minute twelve seconds more time to trim that chin of his than any chin that i know in the town of greenwich sir but he is a very comely gentleman for all that and a pleasant a very pleasant gentleman sir and a good-humoured saving that he is so deaf he can never hear good of any one and so wise that he can never believe it but he is a very good-natured gentleman for all that except when one speaks too low or when a hair turns awry did i graze you sir we shall put it to rights in a moment with one drop of styptic my styptic or rather my wife's sir she makes the water herself one drop of the styptic sir and a bit of black taffeta patch just big enough to be the saddle to a flea sir yes sir rather improves than otherwise the prince had a patch the other day and so had the duke and if you will believe me there are seventeen yards three-quarters of black taffeta already cut into patches for the courtiers but sir mungo Mella grother again interjected nigel with difficulty ay ay sir sir mungo as you say a pleasant good-humoured gentleman as ever to be spoken with did you say oh ay easily to be spoken withal that is as easily as his infirmity will permit he will presently unless some one hath asked him forth to breakfast be taking his bone of broiled beef at my neighbour ned Kildrickkin's yonder removed from over the way ned keeps an eating-house sir famous for pork griskins but sir Monco cannot abide pork no more than the king's most sacred majesty nor my lord duke of lennox nor lord Delgarno. nay i am sure sir if i touched you this time it was your fault not mine but a single drop of the styptic another little patch that would make a doublet for a flea just under the left moustache it will become you when you smile sir as well as a dimple and if you would salute your fair mistress but i beg pardon you are a grave gentleman very grave to be so young hope i have given no offence it is my duty to entertain customers my duty sir and my pleasure sir munco malcrother yes sir i dare say he is at this moment in ned's eating-house for few folks ask him out now lord hunting is gone to london you will get touched again yes sir there you shall find him with his can of single ale stirred with a sprig of rosemary for he never drinks strong potations sir unless to oblige lord huntingland take heed sir or any other person who asks him forth to breakfast but single beer he always drinks at ned's with his broiled bone of beef or mutton or it may be lamb at the season but not pork though ned is famous for his griskins but the scots never eat pork strange that some folk think they are a sort of jews there is a resemblance sir do you not think so then they call our most gracious sovereign the second solomon and solomon you know was king of the jews so the thing bears a face you see i believe sir you will find yourself trimmed now to your content i will be judged by the fair mistress of your affections crave pardon no offence i trust pray consult the glass one touch of the crisping tongs to reduce this straggler Thank your munificence, sir. Hope your custom while you stay in Greenwich. Would you have a tune on that gittern to put your temper in a concord for the day? Twang, 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 dillo. Something out of tune, sir. Too many hands to touch it. We cannot keep these things like artists. Let me help you with your cloak, sir. Yes, sir. You would not play yourself, sir, would you? Way to Sir Monco's eating house, yes, sir. But it is Ned's eating house, not Sir Monco's. The night to be sure eats there and makes it his eating-house in some sense sir ha ha yonder it is removed from over the way new whitewashed posts and red lattice a fat man in his doublet at the door ned himself sir worth a thousand pounds they say better singeing pig's faces than trimming courtiers but ours is the less mechanical vocation. farewell sir hope your custom so saying he at length permitted nigel to depart whose ears so long tormented with continued babble tingled when it had ceased as if a bell had been rung close to them for the same space of time upon his arrival at the eating-house where he proposed to meet with sir mungo Malagrother, from whom in despair of better advice he trusted to receive some information as to the best mode of introducing himself into the royal presence lord Glenvarlock found in the host with whom he communed the consequential taciturnity eternity of an Englishman well to pass in the world. Ned kilderkin spoke as a banker writes, only touching the needful. Being asked if Sir Mungo Malagrother was there, he replied, "No." Being interrogated whether he was expected, he said, "Yes." And being again required to say when he was expected, he answered, "Presently." As Lord Glenvarlock next inquired whether he himself could have any breakfast, the landlord wasted not even a syllable in reply but ushering him into a neat room where there were several tables he placed one of them before an armchair and beckoning lord Glenvarlock to take possession he set before him in a very few minutes a substantial repast of roast beef together with a foaming tankard to which refreshment the keen air of the river disposed him notwithstanding his mental embarrassments to do much honour while niger was thus engaged in discussing his comments but raising his head at the same time whenever he heard the door of the apartment open eagerly desiring the arrival of sir mungo malagrother an event which had seldom been expected by any one with so much anxious interest a personage as it seemed of at least equal importance with the knight entered into the apartment and began to hold earnest colloquy with the publican who thought proper to carry on the conference on his side unbonneted this important gentleman's occupation might be guessed from his dress a milk-white jerkin and hose of white kersey a white apron twisted around his body in the manner of a sash in which instead of a warlike dagger was stuck a long-bladed knife hilted with buck's horn a white nightcap on his head under which his hair was neatly tucked sufficiently portrayed him as one of those priests of comus whom the vulgar call cooks and the air with which he rated the publican for having neglected to send some provisions to the palace showed that he ministered to royalty himself this will never answer he said master kilderkin the king twice asked for sweetbreads and fricasseed coxcombs which are a favourite dish of his most sacred majesty and they were not to be had because master kilderkin had not supplied them to the clerk of the kitchen as by bargain bound here kilderkin made some apology brief according to his own nature and muttered in a lowly tone after the fashion of all who find themselves in a scrape his superior replied in a lofty strain of voice do not tell me of the carrier and his wain and of the hen-coops coming from norfolk with the poultry a loyal man would have sent an express he would have gone upon his stumps like witterington what if the king had lost his appetite master kilderkin what if his most sacred majesty had lost his dinner o master kilderkin if you had but the just sense of the dignity of our profession which is told of by the witty african slave for so the king's most excellent majesty designates him publius terentius tanguam inspecula, specula in, in spec you are learned master linklater replied the english publican, compelling as it were with difficulty his mouth to utter three or four words consecutively a poor smatterer," said Mr. Link later. "But it would be a shame to us, who are his most excellent Majesty's countrymen, not in some sort to have cherished those arts wherewith he is so deeply imbued. Regis ad exemplar, master kilderkin totus componitor orbis, which is as much as to say, as the king quotes, the cook learns. In brief, master kilderkin having had the luck to be bred where humanities may be had, at the matter of an English. Five gross by the quarter. I like others have acquired a hem hem. Here, the speaker's eye, having fallen upon Lord Glenvarlock, he suddenly stopped in his learned harangue with such symptoms of embarrassment as induced Ned Kilderkin to stretch his taciturnity so far as not only to ask him what he ailed, but whether he would take anything. Ail nothing, replied the learned rival of the philosophical Cyrus. Nothing, and yet I do feel a little giddy i could taste a glass of your dame's aqua mirabilis i will fetch it said ned giving a nod and his back was no sooner turned than the cook walked near the table where lord glenvarlock was seated and regarding him with a look of significance where more was meant than met the ear said you are a stranger in greenwich sir i advise you to take the opportunity to step into the park the western wicket was ajar when i came hither i think it would be locked presently so you'd better make the best of your way that is if you have any curiosity the venison are coming into season just now sir and there is a pleasure in looking at a heart of greece i always think when they are bounding so blithely past what a pleasure would be to broach their plump haunches on a spit and to embattle their breasts in a noble fortification of puff paste with plenty of black pepper he said no more as gilderkin re-entered with the cordial but edged off from nigel without waiting any reply only repeating the same look of intelligence with which he had accosted him nothing makes men's wits so alert as personal danger nigel took the first opportunity which his host's attention to the yeoman of the royal kitchen permitted to discharge his reckoning and readily obtained a direction to the wicked in question he found it upon the latch as he had been taught to expect and perceived that it admitted him to a narrow footpath which traversed a close and tangled thicket designed for the cover of the does and the young fawns here he conjectured it would be proper to wait nor had he been stationary above five minutes when the cook scalded as much with heat of motion as ever he had been by his huge fireplace arrived almost breathless and with his pass-key hastily locked the wicket behind him ere lord glenvarlock had time to speculate upon this action the man approached with anxiety and said good lord my lord glenvarlock why will you endanger yourself thus you know me then my friend said nigel not much of that my lord but i know your honour's noble house well my name is laurie linklater my lord linklater repeated nigel i should recollect under your lordship's favour he continued i was prentice my lord to old mungo Manipolis, the flesher at the wanton west port of Edinburgh, which i wish i saw again before i died and your honour's noble father having taken ritchie Manipoles into his house to wait on your lordship there was a sort of connection your lordship sees ah said lord glenvalock i had almost forgot your name but not your kind purpose you tried to put ritchie in the way of presenting a supplication to his majesty most true my lord replied the king's cook i had like to have come by mischief in the job for ritchie who was always wilful, would not be guided by me as the sang says but nobody amongst these brave english cooks can kittle up his majesty's most sacred palate with our own gusty scottish dishes so i e'en betook myself to my craft and concocted a mess of friar's chicken for the soup and a savoury hatches that made the whole cabal the crayons and instead of disgrace i came by preferment. i am one of the clerks of the kitchen now make me thankful with a finger in the purveyor's office and may get my whole hand in by and by i am truly glad said nigel to hear that you have not suffered on my account still more so at your good fortune you bear a kind heart my lord said linklater and do not forget poor people and troth i see not why they should be forgotten since the king's errand may sometimes fall in the cadger's gate i followed your lordship in the street just to look at such a stately shoot of the old oak tree and my heart jumped into my throat when i saw you sitting openly in the eating-house yonder and knew there was such danger to your person what there are warrants against me then said nigel it is even true my lord and there are those who are willing to blacken you as much as they can god forgive them that would sacrifice an honourable house for their own base ends amen said Nigel for say your lordship may have been a little wild like other young gentlemen we have little time to talk of it my friend said nigel the point in question is how am i to get speech of the king the king my lord said linklater in astonishment why wilt not thou be rushing wilfully into danger scalding yourself as i may say with your own ladle my good friend answered nigel my experience of the court and my knowledge of the circumstances in which i stand tell me that the manliest and most direct road is in my case the surest and the safest the king is both a head to apprehend what is just and a heart to do what is kind it is e'en true my lord and so we his old servants know added a length later but woe is me if you knew how many folks make it their daily and nightly purpose to set his head against his heart and his heart against his head to make him do hard things because they are called just and unjust things because they are represented as kind Woe is me it is with his sacred majesty and the favourites who work upon him even according to the homely proverb that men taunt my calling with god sends good meat but the devil sends cooks it signifies not talking of it my good friend said nigel i must take my risk my honour peremptorily demands it they may maim me or beggar me but they shall not say i fled from my accusers my peers shall hear my vindication your peers exclaimed the cook alack a day my lord we are not in scotland where the nobles can bang it out bravely were it even with the king himself now and then this mess must be cooked in the star chamber and that is an oven seven times heated my lord and yet if you are determined to see the king i will not say but you may find some favour for he likes well anything that is appealed directly to his own wisdom and sometimes in the like cases i have known him stick by his own opinion which is always a fair one only mind if you will forgive me my lord mind to spice high with latin a kern or two of greek would not be amiss and if you can bring in anything about the judgment of solomon in the original hebrew and season with the merry jesters so the dish will be the more palatable truly i think that besides my skill in art i owe much to the stripes of the rector of the high school who imprinted on my mind that cooking scene in the ho ton leaving that aside my friend said lord glenvarla can you inform me which way i shall most readily get to the sight and speech of the king to the sight of him readily enough said linglater he is galloping about these alleys to see them strike the heart to get him an appetite for a nooning and that reminds me i should be in the kitchen to the speech of the king you will not come so easily unless you could either meet him alone which rarely chances or wait for him among the crowd that go to see him alight and now farewell my lord and god's speed if i could do more for you i would offer it you have done enough perhaps to endanger yourself said lord Glenvarlock. that i pray you to be gone and leave me to my fate the honest cook lingered but a nearer burst of the horns apprised him that there was no time to lose and acquainting nigel that he would leave the postern door on the latch to secure his retreat in that direction he bade god bless him and farewell in the kindness of this humble countryman flowing partly from national partiality partly from a sense of long-remembered benefits which had been scarce thought on by those who had bestowed them lord Glenvarlock thought he saw the last touch of sympathy which he was to receive in this cold and courtly region and felt that he must now be sufficient to himself or be utterly lost he traversed more than one alley guided by the sounds of the chase and met several of the inferior attendants upon the king's sport who regarded him only as one of the spectators who were sometimes permitted to enter the park by the concurrence of the officers about the court still there was no appearance of james or any of his principal courtiers and nigel began to think whether at the risk of incurring disgrace similar to that which had attended the rash exploit of Richie manipules he should not repair to the palace gate in order to address the king on his return when fortune presented him the opportunity of doing so in her own way he was in one of those long walks by which the park was traversed when he heard first a distant rustling then the rapid approach of hoofs shaking the firm earth on which he stood then a distant halloo worn by which he stood up by the side of the avenue leaving free room for the passage of the chase the stag reeling covered with foam and blackened with sweat his nostrils extended as he gasped for breath made a shift to come up as far as where nigel stood and without turning to bay was there pulled down by two tall greyhounds of the breed still used by the hardy deer-stalkers of the scottish highlands but which has been long unknown in england one dog struck at the buck's throat another dashed his sharp nose and fangs i might almost say into the animal's bowels it would have been masterful lord Glenvarlock himself persecuted as if by hunters to have thought upon the occasion like the melancholy Jayquees. but habit is a strange matter and i fear that his feelings on the occasion were rather those of the practised huntsman than of the moralist he had no time however to indulge them for mark what befell a single horseman followed the chase upon a steed so thoroughly subjected to the rein that it obeyed the touch of the bridle as if it had been a mechanical impulse operating on the nicest piece of machinery so that seated deep in his demi-pipe saddle and so trussed up there as to make falling almost impossible the rider without either fear or hesitation might increase or diminish the speed at which he rode which even on the most animating occasions of the chase seldom exceeded three-fourths of the gallop the horse keeping his haunches under him and never stretching forward beyond the managed pace of the academy the security with which he chose to prosecute even his favourite and in the ordinary case somewhat dangerous amusement as well as the rest of his equipage marked king james no attendant was within sight indeed it was often a nice strain of flattery to permit the sovereign to suppose he had outridden and distanced all the rest of the chase, wheel doon, bash, wheel doon, baddie! He exclaimed as he came up. By the honor of a king, ye are a credit to the praise of all. Whither? Howard, my horseman! He called out to Nigel, without stopping to see to whom he had addressed himself. Howard, my nag, and help me doon out of the saddle. Yielding your saul Sir Kenna, ye make haste before these lazy snakes come up. Haul the rein easy, dinna let him swerve now. Haul the stirrup that will do, man. And now we are on terra firma. So saying, without casting an eye on his assistant, gentle King Jamie, unsheathing the short, sharp hanger cud to the chasse, which was the only thing approaching to a sword that he could willingly endure the sight of drew the blade with great satisfaction across the throat of the buck and put an end at once to its struggles and its agonies lord Glenverlock, who knew well the sylvan duty which the occasion demanded hung the bridle of the king's palfrey on the branch of a tree and kneeling dubiously down turned the slaughtered deer upon its back and kept the quarry in that position while the king too intent upon his sport to observe anything else drew his couteau down the breast of the animal secondum artem and having made a cross cut so as to ascertain the depth of the fat upon the chest exclaimed in a sort of rapture three inches of white fat on the brisket prime prime as i am a crowned sinner and deal ain o oh, the lazy loons in but myself, seven ought ought on the antlers by god a heart of aught tines and the first of the season bash and baddie blessings on the hearts root of ye Buss me my bairns bust me the dogs accordingly fawned upon him licked him with bloody jaws and soon put him in such a state that it might have seemed treason had been doing its full work upon his anointed body by doon with a mischief to ye by doon with a wanyan cried the king almost overturned by the obstreperous caresses of the large staghounds but ye are just like hither folks gi ye an inch and ye take an ell. And what may ye be, friend, he said, now finding leisure to take a nearer view of Nigel, and observing what, in his first emotion of sylvan delight, had escaped, and ye are name of our train man in the name of God, what the devil are ye? an unfortunate man, sire replied Nigel, I dare say that answered the king snappishly, or I would have seen naething of you, my lieges keep a their happiness to themselves, but let bowls rowwang with. Em and i am sure to hear of it and to whom else can we carry our complaints but to your majesty who is heaven's vice-regent over us answered nigel right man right very weel spoken said the king but you should leave heaven's vice-regent some quiet on earth too if your majesty will look on me for hitherto the king had been so busy first with the dogs and then with the mystic operation of breaking in vulgar phrase cutting up the deer that he had scarce given his assistant above a transient glance you will see whom necessity makes bold to avail himself of an opportunity which may never again occur king james looked his blood left his cheek though it continued stained with that of the animal which lay at his feet he dropped the knife from his hand cast behind him a faltering eye as if he either meditated flight or looked out for assistance and then exclaimed glenbar as sure as i was christened james stewart here is a bonny spot of work and me alone and on foot too he added bustling to get upon his horse forgive me that i interrupt you my liege said nigel placing himself between the king and his steed hear me but a moment i'll hear ye best on horseback said the king i cannot hear a word on foot, man. not a word and it is not seemly to stand cheek for child confronting us that gate bide out of our gate, sir we charge you on your allegiance the deals in them ah uh, what can they be doing by the crown that you wear my liege said nigel and for which my ancestors have worthily fought i conjure you to be composed and to hear me but a moment that which he asked was entirely out of the monarch's power to grant the timidity which he showed was not the plain downright cowardice which like a natural impulse compels a man to flight and which can excite little but pity or contempt but a much more ludicrous as well as more mingled sensation the poor king was frightened at once and angry desirous of securing his safety and at the same time ashamed to compromise his dignity so that without attending to what lord endeavoured to explain he kept making at his horse and repeating we are a free king man we are a free king we will not be controlled by a subject in the name of god what keeps steenie and praise be his name they are coming hello ho Here, here! steenie steenie the duke of buckingham galloped up followed by several courtiers and attendants of the royal chase and commenced with his usual familiarity i see fortune has graced our dear dad as usual but what's this what is it it is treason for what i can said the king and a your white steenie your dear dad and gossip might have been murdered for what you care murdered secure the villain exclaimed the duke by heaven it is oliphant himself a dozen of the hunters dismounted at once letting their horses run wild through the park some seized roughly on lord Glenvarlock, who thought it folly to offer resistance while others busied themselves with the king are you wounded my liege are you wounded not that i cannot said the king in the paroxysm of his apprehension which by the way might be pardoned in one of so timorous a temper who in his time had been exposed to so many strange attempts not that i cannot but search him search him i'm sure i saw firearms under his cloak i am sure i smell powder i am dooms sure of that lord Glenvarlock's cloak being stripped off his, his pistols discovered a shout of wonder and of execration on the supposed criminal purpose arose from the crowd now thickening every moment not that celebrated pistol which though resting on a bosom as gallant and as loyal as nigel's spread such cause less alarm among knights and dames at a late high solemnity not that very pistol caused more temporary consternation than was so groundlessly excited by the arms which were taken from lord Glenvarlock's person and not alister more himself could repel with greater scorn and indignation the insinuations that they were worn for any sinister purposes away with the wretch the parasite the bloody-minded villain was echoed on all hands and the king who naturally enough set the same value on his own life at which it was or seemed to be rated by others cried out louder than all the rest Ay, aye away with him i have had enough of him and so has the country but do him no bodily harm and for god's sake sirs if you are sure ye have thoroughly disarmed him put up your swords dirks and skeins for you will certainly do each other a mischief. there was a speedy sheathing of weapons at the king's command for those who had hitherto been brandishing them in loyal bravado began to thereby to call to mind the extreme dislike which his majesty nourished against naked steel a foible which seemed to be as constitutional as his timidity and was usually ascribed to the brutal murder of rizzio having been perpetrated in his unfortunate mother's presence before he yet saw the light at this moment the prince had been hunting in a different part of the then extensive park and had received some hasty and confused information of what was going forward came rapidly up with one or two noblemen in his train and amongst others lord dalgarno he sprung from his horse and asked eagerly if his father were wounded not that i am sensible of baby charles but a wee matter exhausted with struggling single-handed with the assassin steenie fill up a cup of wine the leathern bottle is hanging at our pommel bust me then baby charles continued the monarch after he had taken this cup of comfort Oh, man the commonwealth and you have had a fair escape from the heavy and bloody loss of a dear father for we are pater patriae as real as pater familias. quis desiderio set puter out modus tarn capitis woe is me black cloth would have been dear in england and dry e'en scarce and at the very idea of the general grief which must have attended his death the good-natured monarch cried heartily himself is this possible said charles sternly for his pride was hurt at his father's demeanour on the one hand while on the other he felt the resentment of a son and a subject at the supposed attempt on the king's life let some one speak who has seen what happened my lord of buckingham i cannot say my lord replied the duke that i saw any actual violence offered to his majesty else i should have avenged him on the spot you would have done wrong then in your zeal George answered the prince such offenders were better left to be dealt with by the laws but was the villain not struggling with his majesty i cannot term it so my lord said the duke who with many faults would have disdained an untruth he seemed to desire to detain his majesty who on the contrary appeared to wish to mount his horse but they have found pistols on his person contrary to the proclamation and as it proves to be by nigel oliphant of whose ungoverned disposition your royal highness has seen some samples we seem to be justified in apprehending the worst nigel oliphant said the prince can that unhappy man so soon have engaged in a new trespass let me see those pistols you're not so unwise as to meddle with such snap haunts baby charles said james do not give him them steeny i command you on your allegiance they may go off on their own accord wilk often befalls you will do it then saw so ever man sick wilful barons as we are cumbered with Havenna, we guardsmen and soldiers enough, but you must unload the weapons yourself you the heir of our body and dignities and say mony men around that are paid for venturing life in our cause but without regarding his father's exclamations prince charles with the obstinacy which characterized him in trifles as well as matters of consequence persisted in unloading the pistols with his own hand of the double bullets with which each was charged the hands of all around were held up in astonishment at the horror of the crime supposed to have been intended and the escape which was presumed so narrow nigel had not yet spoken a word he now calmly desired to be heard to what purpose answered the prince coldly you knew yourself accused of a heavy offence and instead of rendering yourself up to justice in terms of the proclamation you are here found intruding yourself on his majesty's presence and armed with unlawful weapons may it please you sir answered nigel i wore these unhappy weapons for my own defence and not very many hours since they were necessary to protect the lives of others doubtless my lord answered the prince still calm and unmoved your late mode of life and the associates with whom you have lived have made you familiar with scenes and weapons of violence but it is not to me you are to plead your cause hear me hear me noble prince and nigel eagerly hear me you even you yourself may one day ask to be heard, and in vain how sir said the prince haughtily how am i to construe that my lord if not on earth sir replied the prisoner yet to heaven we must all pray for patient and favourable audience true my lord said the prince bending his head with haughty acquiescence nor would i now refuse such audience to you could it avail you but you shall suffer no wrong we will ourselves look into your case ay ay answered the king he hath made Appellatio ad we will interrogate glenvar lockadies ourselves time and place fitting and in the meanwhile have him and his weapons away for i am weary of the sight of them in consequence of directions hastily given nigel was accordingly removed from the presence where however his words had not altogether fallen to the ground this is a most strange matter george said the prince to the favourite. this gentleman hath a good countenance a happy presence and much calm firmness in his look and speech i cannot think he would attempt a crime so desperate and useless i profess neither love nor favour to the young man answered buckingham whose high-spirited ambition bore always an open character but i cannot but agree with you Highness, but that our dear gossip hath been something hasty in apprehending personal danger from him. By my soul, Steenie, you are not late to say so," said the king. "Do I not ken the smell of Palther? Think ye? Who else nosed out the fifth of November save our royal selves, Cecil and Suffolk, and all of them were at fault like mony mongrel tykes When I puzzled it out, and true ye that I cannot smell Palther. wise blood man Johannes Barclius thought my injun was in some measure inspiration and terms his history of the plot ceres pata facti devinitus paracitiae and Spandanus in like manner saith of us devinitus e the land was happy in your majesty's escapes of the duke of buckingham and not less in the quick wit which tracked that labyrinth of treason by so fine and almost invisible a clue saul man steenie ye are right there are few youths have sit. True judgment as you, respecting the wisdom of their elders, and for this false traitor's snake, I doubt he is a hawk of the same nest. saw so ye not something papistical about him? Let him look that he bears not a crucifix or some sick Roman trinket about him. It would ill be become me to attempt the exculpation of this unhappy man, said Lord Dalgarner, considering the height of his present attempt, which has made all true men's blood curdle in their veins yet i cannot avoid intimating with all due submission to his majesty's infallible judgment in justice to one who showed himself formerly only my enemy though he now displays himself in much blacker colours that the solifont always appeared to me more as a puritan than as a papist ah oh, delgarno out there there man said the king and ye behoove to keep back too and leave us to our own natural strength and the care of providence when we were in grips with the villain providence may it please your most gracious majesty would not fail to aid in such a strait the care of three weeping kingdoms said Lord garner surely man surely replied the king but a sight of your father with his long winyard would have been a blithe matter a short while son and in future we will aid the ends of providence in our favour by keeping near us two stout beef-eaters of the guard. and so this oliphant is a puritan not the less like to be a papist for all that for extremities meet as the scolias proveth there are as i have proved in my book puritans of papistical principles it is just a new tout on an old horn Here the king was reminded by the prince who dreaded perhaps that he was going to recite the whole basilicon doron that it would be best to move towards the palace and consider what was to be done for satisfying the public mind in whom the morning's adventure was likely to excite much speculation as they entered the gate of the palace a female bowed and presented a paper which the king received and with a sort of groan thrust it into his side pocket the prince expressed some curiosity to know its contents the valet in waiting will tell you them said the king when i strip off my cassock do you think baby that i can read all that is thrust into my hands see to me ma'am he pointed to the pockets of his great trunk breeches which were stuffed with papers we are like an ass that we should so speak stooping betwixt two burdens i i asinus fortis accumbens inter tibidus ethes of allgate it, i i witty terrain quod optima et suppursui humerum ad portandum et factus sum tibitus cerwians i saw this land of england became an overburdened king thereof you are indeed well loaded my dear dad in gossip said the duke of buckingham receiving the papers which King James emptied out of his pockets. "Ay, ay," continued the monarch, take them to you per a sinum barons, the one pouch stuffed with petitions, t'other with pasquinados. a fine time we have aunt. On my conscience, I believe the tale of Cadmus was hieroglyphical and that the dragon's teeth will key so were the letters he invented. Ye are laughing, baby Charles, mind what I say when i came here first frae our ain country where the men are as rude as the weather by my conscience england was a bieldy bit one would have thought the king had little to do but to walk by quiet waters per aquam refectionis but i kenna how or why the place is so changed. read that libel upon us and on our regimen the dragon's teeth are sown baby charles i pray god they bear not their armad harvest in your day and i should not live to see it god forbid i should for there will be an awful day's camping at the shearing of them i shall know how to stifle the crop in the blade ha george said the prince turning to the favor with a look expressive of some contempt for his father's apprehensions and full of confidence in the superior firmness and decision of his own counsels while this discourse was passing nigel in charge of a pursuivant at arms was pushed and dragged through the small town all the inhabitants of which having been alarmed by the report of an attack on the king's life now pressed forward to see the supposed traitor amid the confusion of the moment he could describe the face of the vittler, arrested into a stare of stolid wonder and that of the barber grinning betwixt horror and eager curiosity he thought that he also had a glimpse of his waterman in the green jacket he had no time for remarks being placed in a boat with the servant and two yeomen of the guard and rode up the river as fast as the arms of six stout watermen could pull against the tide they passed the groves of mass which even then astonished the stranger with the extended commerce of london and now approached those low and blackened walls of curtain and bastion which exhibit here and there a piece of ordnance and here and there a solitary sentinel under arms but have otherwise so little of the military terrors of a citadel a projecting low-browed arch which had lowered over many an innocent and many a guilty head in similar circumstances now spread its dark frowns over that of nigel the boat was put close up to the broad steps against which the tide was lapping its lazy wave the warder on duty looked from the wicket and spoke to the pursuivant in whispers in a few minutes the lieutenant of the tower appeared received, and granted an acknowledgment for the body of nigel, Lord End of Chapter twenty seven.